Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Forma here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and today I am joined by an old friend and a very special guest who, unlike most of our guests, happens to be in studio right now. I'm with Greg Wilbur. Greg, welcome to Forma. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So every now and then you pass through yes. and we get you on a podcast. It's a great thing. Um, we rope you into one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you about something very specific. And a lot of people who have heard you on a Circe event uh, recording or at the event itself or on a podcast, have probably heard you talk about music or something related to the quadrivium. So um, this is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but in some ways it's not, um, I think. And we've been doing some recent podcasts and things like that on, on higher education. We talked with Jack Baker and Jeffrey Bilbro uh, last week about Wendell Berry and high, higher education and what Barry's, Barry's sort of cynical views on higher education, but how um, those authors think that there is some hope by applying some of the things that Barry believes about community and learning right. um, to the circumstances of higher education, contemporary higher, higher education. You are doing that right now. Yes. In fact, you told me at lunch today that some a family or mm-hmm. someone who's involved with you guys sent you the link to that recording and said, you're doing this at New College Franklin. Um, so I'm not going to ask you, how are you doing this? Because you haven't, I don't think you've listened to the recording yet, so you don't know exactly what yeah, they're yes. saying. But I do want to talk to you about the state of higher education mm-hmm. um, currently. And then a little bit about, let's kind of flip it then and then say, what is it? Um, that a school like yours is looking for in an ideal or a mm-hmm. prospective student. I think that can be useful for a lot of people. So on the one hand, there's the question of there are all these problems right. with higher education right now. Are they actually solvable? And then um, you're trying to offer an, a different way forward. So what kind of students are ideally suited for this different way forward? Do you think, though, let's go back to that first question not to just drop this on you right away. Um, 
Do you think that the problems that are sort of fundamental, fundamental to contemporary higher education are solvable? Yes, but I think, you know, it requires us to have a different paradigm for what uh, higher education looks like. So I mean, to rethink what we're doing. Right. I mean, it, it, it's not on a human scale. I mean, when you, when you have a state university with 45,000 students, I mean, that's a small town. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a medium-sized town. <laughs> yeah, it's not even small. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, and you have all the issues from infrastructure to security to uh, administration and all the bureaucracy that you would have in, in running a town, but it's yeah. an educational institution, and you've lost sight of you know, the human scale of what it means to have uh, the, that direct communication, uh, conversation um, with a tutor, mentor, and a student or students. So if, if someone said to you, such as me in this podcast right now, <laughs> what are the three things that you think are the big, the biggest concerns about contemporary higher education? Would that be one of them? That would be scale? one of them. I what think would be, so. What would be two other ones? Uh, well, without sounding too negative. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, sound negative. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be one aspect of it. You know, we've lost, we've lost that human connection mm-hmm. uh, in the bureaucracy and in the, uh, the, um, the facelessness of, of mm-hmm. the, the business of higher education. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating because I'm putting all those into one. Um, but That's it, fair. But it's That's become fair. We'll a, allow it. Yeah, okay. It's become a business aspect. Two, the content in terms of what's being taught. Um, that, uh, and I'm not, yes, there's all the, uh, um, there's all the gender theory and deconstructionist and whatever, I mean, nihilistic thought. Yes. I mean, we can go down that path, but not just that, but even in terms of, um, of how subjects are, are taught, uh, the content of what's, um, what's being taught. And then I think thirdly, um, the manner or the, uh, the way in which things are being taught. I mean, lecture is not the way you learn things. Um, that's not the primary way in which we learn things. You have to engage material. And to, in order to engage material, you've got to have relationship. You've got to have conversation. Uh, you've got to have professors who actually know students and, uh, and, and that can gauge what's going on. Because, you know, in a lecture format, in a testing format, you're basically giving back to the professor what it is that they've told you to think. And there's mm-hmm. not that opportunity to actually grow and develop yeah. as, a, as a student, as a human being. Yeah. Is that three? It was three. Okay. I made it three. Okay. Oh, you made it three. Okay. <laughs> Two and three could have been one if we really wanted them to. So um, did you, I mean, when you were setting out to found New College, were you looking at these are the things that need to get solved and we're going to provide the alternative that solves them or, or did you not think about it in that quite that specifically? I think, you know, we were trying to move towards something and not necessarily away from something. And I think, uh, hmm. you know, and we're talking, you know, 12, 12 or so years ago when we were you know, laying the foundation on this. Right, I, right. I, I don't think higher education, or at least it was not as known to be as um, bankrupt in, uh, hmm. in ideas and in, in form as, as I think it's becoming more well known. People are really concerned about that from that perspective. It's becoming more... You can't help but notice it. Right. The yes. toxicity. Yeah. Yes. Again and again. And so we were thinking in terms of the, the positive aspect of a, um, a local solution, um, mm. which, you know, ironically, most of our students are not local, but, you know, an, an idea that's a local solution. That the local community. That's small, that's a part of the community and that uh, uses, you know, discussion-based format for classes and that we're actually engaging students in a mentoring relationship as well as, you know, engaging all of life, the, the spiritual formation aspect, not just, not just intellectual knowledge. Hmm. 
So I was just, as you were speaking there, I was just thinking, I feel like we could get into a long sort of offshoot dialogue about <laughs> how you went about determining whether to stay in the Franklin area mm-hmm. and how you decided, you know, what to, how to build your curriculum and the whole history of the school. Um, but what I'm, I, and we could talk about that for probably a long time. What I'm really curious about though, is how you decided sort of what the primary things were to focus on mm-hmm. and what you decided were the things to leave out. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Like you can't, you know, when you're teaching anybody, you can't cover everything. Right. Which is almost, you know, it's the, so what we've done in contemporary learning is we just say, okay, choose a major, right? Right. And you've specialized, you become a specialist. And that's at the cost of, of broader learning sometimes. But you still can't, but, but that's sort of implicitly acknowledging that we can't learn everything. Right. So is it better to specialize in, in, in one thing? So how, so given those questions, how did you decide these are the things that we need to focus on and these are the things that we need to just say we, we can't cover everything, mm-hmm. so leave out? I, I know it's maybe a little cliche to say that uh, what we wanted to teach students was the ability to learn so that they could continue the process, mm-hmm. you know, the education process. Uh, but that's true. I mean, there's always the perpetual uh, book list sorting, you yeah. know, yeah. The, there's always things that you want to teach that you can't actually teach and can't quite always get to. And th- right. that's always the frustration. But that's, yeah. but that's, but that's also kind of the pressure that we feel, I think, as, um, as parents, as educators, that we, we, you know, at 18 or 22, you know, our child, our student needs to have completed X. And, uh, and that's a false, that's a false pressure. And yeah. the other thing is yeah, too, yeah. It, is that we don't, Education is not a matter of checking off the list of particular books. You know, those are tools that can be used and uh, in various ways. And so it's, it's a matter of choosing your tools. Uh, I mean, yes, obviously there are some seminal texts that need to be engaged in, in ideas and so forth. But you, you're not going to be uneducated if you can't get to the whole list. And it's not a matter of getting right. through the list. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think there's danger in trying to get through the list. Yeah, like just trying to do it right. for the sake of... Well, so, okay. So there's the idea of you can do it for the sake of doing it. Right. And there's some danger in that. But then at the same time, it's a good... Like some things are worth doing for this for Absolutely. their own sake. Right. So then, I mean, how do you how do you differentiate there? How do you choose what are the things that are most important? Because mm-hmm. you're curating, essentially. Right. Um, the books that students are going to read right? so that they'll continue to read. Sure. But how did you decide we're going to focus on these composers, on these writers, you know, because when you choose something, you're leaving something else out. Was that a painful process for you? Like did that? It continues to be painful because you always, (laughs) you know, it's a process of review too. You want to add something? Yeah. But but our our goal though too, I mean, over our overarching goal was we wanted to encounter the great ideas through the great books and enter that conversation. So that was a kind of a foundational bedrock idea. Yeah, yeah. And also to and to work through the classical uh, liberal arts. So the, the seven, the trivium and the quadrivium. Yeah, and so yeah. that was going to form a major part of what we did. And so how we how we approach text. And with the idea that that's going to form uh, students in certain ways. We're going to equip them in certain ways um, through that process. And so that became kind of the context of that. And, mm. and, and we, you know, we... we made some missteps along the way and we changed some curriculum from the first couple of years and uh from what, did, what do you mean by that like what did that look like what do, when you say you made a misstep you mean uh, books didn't connect with kids um it it was uh 
to, to, they, there wasn't a unified, cohesive sense about them? When, what, do you, what do you mean by that you made missteps? Right. Well, uh, Not that this is like confess all your <laughs> problems when you were starting a college, but. No, well, one, well, one of our, one of our ideas and, and one of the goals was to, um, uh, the, the initial curriculum had a full year of symbolism as uh, as an initial first year course. Hmm. And, uh, and the idea was that we wanted to encourage and to help students think more sacramentally and to think oh, yeah, about okay. creation and, uh, and, and God's order in, in particular ways and to yeah. be able to give them the eyes and the tools to be able to see with the, with the things that they were going to encounter through scripture, through readings and so forth, that ability to, to look at things in that way. Right. So the impetus was really good. The idea behind that was really good. The idea of a, lo- a year long course to do that was not the best. How did you discover that? By teaching it for a year. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, because of the students or because of you? Um, and I'm, I'm actually the one that taught the course, so I can tell on myself, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, um, because it, because it didn't, um, we, we were able to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish in less time than that. And uh, in the yeah. context of, yeah. you know, choosing, you know, what you, what you leave on the cutting room floor, you know, th- there were other things that we had cut out in order to make space for that, that we decided we could then reintroduce because we didn't uh, need as much yeah. time for that as an introductory So you could do thing. some of those things right. in other courses instead of just kind of dedicating a single course to that, right. to that one right. thing. And another thing that we did early on is we required, um, as part of the curriculum, um, Greek and Hebrew, um, wanting to teach the biblical languages and decided over time that our students needed a better theological foundation than they needed Hebrew studies. Hmm. And so we, we, um, still do Greek, but, um, increased the number of theological courses. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it'd be such a, (laughs) such a complicated challenge because you want to, on the one hand, be, you know, like vocationally, you want to fulfill what you feel like your calling is to be. And then every time you choose a specific course, it could fulfill that. Mm-hmm. And if you take it out, are you missing out? It feels like that probably is a stressful process. It, it can be, you know, part of the, you, you have to kind of trust the process too, because every time you teach, even to teach the same course, I mean, every time you teach uh, Homer, it's a different class. Mm-hmm. And so as a conversation based class, what people bring to the table, um, what they see in the text, um, how the, how the professor guides the conversation is going to be a different conversation and a different discussion than the previous year. Hmm. And so the, the, the curriculum aspect yeah, is not yeah. just the book that you read, but also who your classmates are and who's leading you through yeah. that. And so yeah. it's, it's ever new in that regard. Um, and some, you know, there are some conversations that happen more easily than others, but it's still the process of getting into the text in that way. Did you, what was your, what was your higher education experience? Typical public university, University of Alabama. Roll oh, that's tide. why you've been saying roll tide yeah. all day. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, uh, there's a great podcast out right now all about Nick Saban, by the way, and how they built their program. You should listen to it. Favorable? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, it's, it's like it has interviews with him and all his like former players yes. and it's about how they, how they built their program. And, um, it's like, I think four or five parts. I think it's ongoing right now. Um, but did you, I mean, when you were in school, mm-hmm. you know, first, so for some people, they, they discover the things that you're talking about here later as an adult. And mm-hmm. they're like, wow, I missed out on this. And then there's some people who are in it. And while they're in it, they're thinking, this is silly. 
or I'm missing something or it feels lacking. Mm-hmm. Did you fit into, did you fit into one of those two categories while you were in school? Were you looking around you and thinking, not that this is nonsense, right. but what something is not here that should be here. Or was it later on that you discovered it? I, I think a bit of both. Mm. You know, one, one advantage that I had and my, uh, my undergraduate and master's is both in music. One thing about music classes is they tend to be small. And so mm. you, you have that connection to a professor. And so you, you have that one-on-one relationship. And so there's, there's not the huge lecture hall. And uh, I, you know, I had some of those for gen ed, but it was different than, than in my major. And the other thing that I did, which was atypical, is that um, I got a Bachelor of Arts instead of a specific degree in music performance or music education. And so I was able to, I had to get a minor outside of the department. So I studied English, studied classics for a bit and then English. And okay. then I had a vast experience within the music department. So I wasn't, I wasn't focusing just on piano or just on voice or just on conducting or composition, mm-hmm. but was able to do all those things. And so the, the general aspect of that um, carries over into the idea of not just specializing uh, in one idea, but being right. able to, and then bringing, bringing the connection to literature uh, along the way. And that was, so that was important, but it was the ideas too, that were presented very briefly and quickly that, that kind of germinated over time. It's like, okay, there's some, there's more significant ideas here in terms of content and, uh, and also in terms of pedagogy that should be, or could be developed in a way that, um, that would be more effective in terms of, of higher education. Hmm. So one of the reasons I asked about, I guess, curating mm-hmm. the curriculum is because I, I think a lot of our listeners who are homeschooling parents or running a school or teaching in a classroom are um, in a smaller way every year at this time of the year. Yes. Doing exactly what you're, what you're having to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having to curate which books their kids are going to read, how they're going to approach them. They're going to having to take things out that they love, adding things in that maybe they don't love as much, but they feel like they ought to do. Mm-hmm because they're worth doing or for their own sake in some, you know, some way or another. So I think that there's, um, you know, there's obviously some overlap there, some, some connections. I'm wondering if you have any advice for, for people like that, that, you know, it's August 21st when we're recording today, school years are starting, you know, all year long, people are going to be thinking about, well, we're not going to finish what we've planned. Mm -hmm. So what are the, I have to leave something out here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how would you recommend that people go about deciding, okay, you know, making those kind of decisions and, you know, living through all the anxiety that can attend <laughs> those kind of things, especially for the, uh, people who are overachievers, right? Right. Right. Well, I think part of it is don't stress. I mean, that, that's easy to say, but, um, you know, the things that you love, your children are going to love too, in terms of how you invest the energy in that. So the things that are are near and dear to your heart that you want, that's part of the culture of your home, part of the culture of your own education that you want to um, pass on to your children. Uh, go with that first and foremost. Uh, other things will fall in. And one of the things I love about reading um, comments from Close Reads on, online is um, the number of books that people have not encountered yet or authors. Yeah. But it's different yeah. for different people, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, this group of people over here, you know, familiar with one author um, and not with another and this other group over here, you know, vice versa. And, you know, no one, no one has the complete list and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also one of the things I love about close read um, listeners 
and uh, is that they get, they're continuing that opportunity, you know. And so the, yeah. part of the, you know, you're setting the trajectory for your child, not trying to complete um, the process. And mm-hmm. so the things that you love that you can inculcate in them that they will love is going to continue to propel them. And so, yeah, so it, it, I think we put too much stress and too much weight on that to get just the right perfect book list, and it's never going to be the right perfect book list. And so if we can move away from the stress of that and, and, and just enjoy the process and getting into it, I think that's gives us a better, better perspective. Yeah, and I, and I guess, you know, I've got three kids, so when, I'm, when they're 14 and 15 and they're, well, when the two older ones are 14 and 15 um, and they're reading books, they're going to respond to different books differently too. Mm-hmm. So no two students respond to your book list right. in the same way. You'll be more successful with one, you know, you, and then you'll be surprised by the thing that one student discovers about a book that, you know, you never intended or whatever. Right. Well, I see that when, when somebody asks me that, you know, they, they say, you know, I want to listen to more classical music. What should I listen to? And my first question back to them is, well, what do you like? You know, so let's build off of the things you like. Same thing yeah. with reading. So what yeah. do you enjoy reading? So what are some other good books that are going to engage you um, yeah. that, that's going to spur you on? Yeah. And so, and, the, and that's an individual type of thing. Path leads on a path type thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's talk about, uh, this feeds into a question I've been wanting to talk to you about. And that's the idea of the kind of students that are ideal for colleges like yours. Um, Many of our listeners are trying to cultivate students who, um, frankly, are, I don't know know how people would put it, but that would, are going to reach for higher than just the standard, Mm -hmm. you know, not to kill the state schools, but the standard get in, get out, get a job type scenario. Right. Uh, Figure out your major, take the minimum courses you need to take, get the major. Right. Finished, go into the job. Um, they want it to be for something higher. And so you're the kind of school that I think a lot of people are looking for. And, and you know, f- to be fair, there's lots of different great um, schools similar to yours that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and can't I, and take I, all the students anyway. So. And, I, and, and when I wish there were more, too. Yeah, I, mean, I would right. love for there to be more small schools, liberal arts schools doing what we're doing. So, okay, so you have, I would assume, a limited number of students that you could potentially accept. So say you're getting thousands and thousands of applicants, <laughs> you'd have to turn some students away. Right. Um, so when you, you know, you're in that scenario and every one of our listeners yeah. sends a student <laughs> to you. And so you're having to say, you're having to identify how am I going to choose one of these students? What are the things that you're looking for as kind of an ideal new college Franklin student, the student who is going to flourish in a school that is committed to the liberal arts, that is um, limited purposefully kind of limiting its size and its scale mm-hmm. um, to avoid the pitfalls you talked about at the beginning right. and that is committed to a local community. Right. I, one, I think, who understands the connection between um, spiritual life and academic life. So they, they, they recognize the, um, um, is not just, it's not just the head, but there's, there's the heart issue as well, that you're growing spiritually. I mean, because that, that you can't, I don't, I don't believe you can be truly pursue education or knowledge in its fullest without the, um, the growth, spiritual growth at the same time, attention to spiritual life. And so that's important, um, that, that that's a, that's a part of who they are. Um, also these seem a little bit more esoteric and less practical, but the idea too of, (laughs) of, but, but that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, 
you know, C.S. Lewis talks in uh, Experiment and Criticism about the difference between receiving a text and using a text. And uh, the type of student who's able to um, not just use what they're reading to confirm their own prejudices, um, you know, the type of student who just doesn't underline the parts of the text that, that confirms the things that they already believe. Right, right. But who's willing to actually um, engage and to humbly um, listen to new ideas and to evaluate them and to think through them and to, and to wrestle with them. And that takes a certain amount of humility and maturity to do that. And so, I mean, it's hard to assess on the front end, uh, but that's one of the things that we want to, um, you know, we'd like to see and begin also to see develop more fully in the context of conversation, which also, you know, when you're in a classroom with other people, you need to get along with other people you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and listen to their ideas. Can you tell and, in an interview, just to the interview, whether a student would fit? Um, we, we love to have students come visit. So especially as they interact with our students in perspective weekends and, uh, um, and engage with classes, it's easy to, you know, yeah, you can see who's, who's being able to kind of integrate in and who uh, makes friends. I mean, it's the weird, the thing, when you find your group, your tribe, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. We hear the story again and again, I'm sure this is true at other places, but students will come for our prospective weekends and they will leave, um, saying that they, in, in a matter of two days, um, have formed closer relationships than with people back home. Hmm. Um, because, Why do you think that is? Because I think it's the matter of I think of finding finding people who have the same uh, the same loves the, the same yeah. uh, the same purpose the same drive, and I think that that spurs one another on too. And so you know, part of that is self selective too. And you know the, the type <laughs> yeah. of person who applies to a school like New College or a Christian Liberal Arts College specifically to study um, to study that to not um, you know, to let job preparation be the blessing and not the focus mm-hmm. of education. Um, they already are self-selective in how they're valuing what it is that they're looking for in an institution and what they're looking for in a program. Do you think that, like, when should, when should parents start looking at, I mean, I don't know how to put this. So like if a parent has a high school student, excuse me, when should they, um, start thinking, okay, I'm looking at a new college Franklin or Hillsdale or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm those are the kind of schools I want my students to, to go to. So I want to prepare them mm-hmm. for that. When should parents start being um, purposeful right. in trying to do that? Or right. is that not something that a parent can say, I want to prepare my student to be perfect for these kinds of schools? I think, you know, there's, there's, I didn't answer your first question with regards to, you know, academics and courses and test scores and so forth, because, you know, some of that's kind of a given no matter where you go, whether, you know, that's the University of North Carolina or, or whether that's, um, you know, St. John's, whatever, there's, that's expected. And, you know, some of that is, um, is helpful, but more the process of learning, less than, less than specific things on the transcript are helpful. I mean, obviously, someone who knows who loves to read, but in terms of the preparation, it's it's the uh, I think it's the lifelong preparation of what it means to uh, um, to raise your child and prepare them to be an adult and to enter into yeah. uh, enter into college. And, and, yeah. and see, and that's the thing too. You mentioned this earlier that it's not just about getting credits out of the way and getting into the workforce. I mean, there is a significant thing that happens uh, developmentally in those college years. I mean, it's it's um, you're talking about like cognitively. 
Uh, yeah, socially. Yes. And yes. And, and uh, from the perspective, yes, all those things, because, um, forgive me, college students out there, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a lot like junior high from the standpoint that you're trying to figure out who you are, yeah. what your place is, um, what your purpose is, um, what do I believe? You know, what's my How identity? Do I that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's kind of a repeat in terms of, you know, on a much hmm. di- different level because you're, you're on your own for the first time. And then you get into your thirties and you do it all again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, like, it's like every t- thir- 12 years. Well, yeah. And this is, yeah, this is another little cocoon process of being yeah. able to do that. But, but it matters too then. I mean, you know, in terms of as adults are thinking about higher education or, or students, as you walk through those existential questions, um, who do you want to be around your kids, your children, as they ask those questions, who do you want helping them work through those things and, mm-hmm. um, and, and the, those identity type of, 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 um, of issues. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's significant, I think, in terms of, of what, what those influences are. So I, you know, the preparation is just the pre- preparation of, of moving a child into adulthood to be able to take responsibility for their actions and the consequences therein, and, um, but not be surprised, especially on a college level that, uh, treat them like an adult, but, um, don't be surprised when they do stupid things. You know, it's, it's part of the territory, but it's, it's that, that getting that practice of, of being an adult, of taking responsibility and being independent. Do you very often have students come in who are not suited for new college? We have had some for a variety of reasons, whether it was, um, you know, it was their parents' desire that they be there or um, they're just not prepared to um, to enter into the workload or the other um, other issues, you know, financial or social, et cetera. But, yeah, there are some. Um, and but you know, So when, what do you do in that kind of situation? Um, you know, the beautiful thing is that several of those people have remained part of the community. And, um, and we love that and appreciate that because it's more than just a degree. You know, it's more than just the process of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but it's a relational, a relational thing. And so, um, you know, we, and we do care more about the person than just as a student. Yeah. And so in terms yeah, yeah. of, in terms of their well being and their soul. So when you, uh, you talk about the idea of being kind of a local, mm-hmm. locally, um, focused school. So when you look at the students that you're bringing in and how you incorporate them into the local place, you mentioned a lot of, you said ironically, but yes. a lot of the students come from elsewhere. Um, what does that look like? Like, how does that, when you, when you mean that you're focusing on your local community, but you're bringing mm-hmm. students from elsewhere, how do you serve the local community and incorporate kids from Texas or New right. Hampshire or Argentina right. or, <laughs> you know, Nova Scotia? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we... Four you, places off the top of my head. Right, yes. Um, what does that mean? I don't know. Those four places, yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, the connecting point. Uh, you know, part of it is, you know, belonging to a local body of believers, you know, church attendance, but not just in terms of being in church, but in being involved in a church, serving the church, um, forming relationships outside of your peers. Mm. They're, um, they're finding places, ways to serve and also to be served so that they're meeting older people, older women, older men that are, that are you know, families that are interested in the college students and having mentor them type, mm-hmm. type situations. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, the mentoring doesn't, is not just within the context of the college, but folks in the community and churches uh, also. Um, does, a, does apprenticeship play into that? We do. I mean, part of that is there's a, a um, um, opportunity junior, senior year for a um, internship or okay. uh, process of some sort. And so we've had students be in the business world and, and design world and so forth yeah. and forming yeah. those types of relationships. 
And so that's key to not to get outside your own head, to get outside your own yeah. class and your classmates yeah. to be a part of the community. We're part of the community downtown and we need to do a better job too of volunteering for community events. And but that's something that we're, you know, we're um, pursuing as well, but just so that we are good neighbors and, um, yeah. Do you find that the kids from the, the kids generally, the students generally, um, appreciate the place and enjoy being a part of it and, and are kind of, um, they, they're, they're not just participating begrudgingly. Yes. I mean, they, they, it's for some of them, it's like, you know, I, like I said before, I found my people, you know, yeah. that they're, so they're, they're in a, in a place where they may have been a little, um, you know, understood in terms of their proclivities and their loves. Um, they have more to help feed that and encourage that. Yeah. But, you know, we're in a beautiful location. It's, it's conducive for what we're trying to do. And, um, and, and I think too, just from the, from the inside of things, when, when students graduate, um, they realize that, that, that level of conversation and that, that intimacy of exchange of ideas is rare. And that's not something that's easy to get when you're, you know, in the working world and yeah. you have, you have to work harder for it and because it has become important. Um, so that aspect of, of the life that they've, you know, the, the, they've had the previous four years even comes into sharper relief and the value of that mm. and the desire to perpetuate that somewhere and somewhere, wherever they go. Mm. Well, we're over 30 minutes. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I'm curious if you have just the idea of, we, we get a lot of questions about the idea of college preparation. Mm-hmm. You're, I mean, I've asked about it a little bit. Um, what does a student look like? Um, we talked about how, you know, it, it's just very common. F- I, you teach high school, you, the constant struggle is anybody who's listening and teaches high school students, probably the number one thing you hear from parents is, I've got to get this kid into this school. You have to help me get this kid into this school. Um, do you have advice for people who are working with students whose parents are saying things like that to them? Um, you know, that the, there's a prestige to certain schools, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting your kid or your kid going into a prestigious school I don't want to say it's just a pride thing, but you know, it's, it's a big deal. Right. Um, so if you're like, if you're talking, if you know, I've dealt with this, if I was dealing with students whose parents were all about this prestige situation, what's the conversation you have to them? Cause I imagine you run into families who say, well, you guys, new college is doing looks great. But on the other hand, my kid got into like right. UNC Chapel Hill or Yale or right. I don't know, whatever comparatively, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big, there's prestige to it. They're in some honors program at, you know, university of Virginia or something. And there's, family ties or whatever it is, you right. know, all the things they always dreamed of. Right. Right. And so it's new college or it's that, <laughs> I mean, not, not that you're trying to defend yourself, but what, I mean, what is that? What's the conversation that you have there? Right. And I think, yes, what, what you, you, you uh, reference the idea of pride. Um, I don't think you lead with that, but you no. know, I think, <laughs> I mean, there is a certain element where it's like, yeah, you should take pride in your kids accomplishing, right. accomplishing things. But right. It's, but I think from the issue too, I mean, why is, why is that so important? I mean, in terms of, of uh, not just, um, you know, it's important that they get into Yale or something, but why significantly, you know, what, what, for what reason, what do you, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you after, what's the underlying issue behind that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want them to go to, to Ivy League school because of the connections that they're going to make or that's going to further their career or, I mean, what's, what's the root of those things? Not just that it's prestigious. 
I mean, I think it's just important questions anyway to ask why, yeah, right. what, what's the foundational issue, not just the presenting idea, but um, the underlying reasons why. And, 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 you know, when it comes down to it, those reasons may be able to be answered by, you know, a less expensive option or a, uh, um, yeah, maybe less prestigious, but it's going to be better fit for the student. I mean, if and not just the, you know, not just the name, but also just the root, the, the foundation of why that, why that's important. Yeah. Do you, um, do you ever have to tell people, look, yeah, you go there, you're going to make the connections. We can't offer that to you. Do you ever have to say that to people? Because like I imagine right. a small school, you're probably not going to be able to make connections in the business world that you could make at, right. you know, a large, a large school. Maybe. But, right. Know. Well, we say all the time, I mean, you know, we're not for everybody and we mm-hmm. recognize that mm-hmm. uh, and that's, and that's okay. Um, because there are. What are you, who are you not for though? <laughs> like that's the thing that I'm, one of the things I'm asking, I guess I'm right. thinking about is like, it seems like you could serve. Right. And be a school that anybody could go to, mm-hmm. but it depends on how they're thinking about things. Well, and it, you're, you're exactly right. It depends on how they're thinking about things. I mean, are they, um, you know, studies show that um, um, that um, medical schools are interested in liberal arts students. Yeah. But do you want your child to be the test case on that? You know, in terms of if they, if they really right. want to go to medical school, are you are you willing to uh, um, to <laughs> on principle stand on that and, and yeah. see if that's going to yeah, work yeah. out? Or not. Yeah. And so it comes down to issues like that in terms of those more uh, specific types of careers. Or if there's, you know, we've had some students, you know, parents say, well, you know, I really want my child to have a dorm experience. It's like, well, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we really can't help you out there. Yeah, it's and, probably a bad idea anyway. But yeah. But, you know, but I'm not going to convince them of that. I'm not, you know. We don't need to, we don't need right. to go on a diatribe about um, why dorm life might not be the best. <laughs> but if that's important to them as a family, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I can't, I can't argue them out of that. I don't want to argue them out of that. That's, yeah. I mean, oh, I do that's, want to argue them out of that. That's, but, for, that's for a future podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those types of things, you know, we can't, we're not going to, we're not going to meet those particular needs. Yeah. And that's okay. And that, and some of that is, you know, I recognize we're we're swimming upstream from the standpoint of trying to get back to the heart of what education is for, and we, we've been so um, inundated and blinded by um, what education, higher education, has become that even if we don't like it um, as a as a society, we don't see a, a viable other option, or we're concerned that it's not a viable other option, and it's going to take a while before I think, especially um, folks in the classical world or you know uh, Christian uh, homeschool parents. Have said, you know, enough is enough, and and we're not we're not going to settle for the lack of of higher education. We're not going to completely pull out of the idea of that. But is there an opportunity? Are there places where higher education is being done in such a way that it does serve the development of a student intellectually, spiritually, um, and and vocationally, where God is calling them to be? And there are schools out there, and 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 thankfully, there is more and more. And that's, a, that's an encouraging thing. Hmm. Well, honestly, I could ask more questions, but that's like, <laughs> that was a perfect conclusion. So um, thank you for joining us. My um, pleasure. Let's, we're going to be with you. Yes. Um, September 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of doing a collaborative, a joint venture event. Yes. On, you want to tell a little bit about the event and we're going to be on your campus, right? Right. Yes. A one day conference on the, on the liberal arts. Uh, the idea of truth and liberty and harmony as they're expressed in the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of a foundational aspect of the the, tri- the, the quadrivium, why um, why we should recover that and the significance that that means in terms of how 
we teach and how students develop and how they think, hmm. um, the significance of what that looks like from that perspective. And we're, and it's going to be in Franklin. In Franklin. At first, I'm doing this off the top no, of my head. Cornerstone, Cornerstone Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church, Church. Which is where New College I was going to get yep. the Presbyterian right, part, right? Yeah. Um, Downtown Franklin. So it's a Saturday. I think it's $75 a ticket. Mm-hmm. includes lunch. Um, so if, you know, if you're out there and you like what... What we've been talking about here yeah. and want to hear more or want to learn about the school or want to come talk about the quadrivium with us. Right. Um, come on. We'll we, be there. Andrew Kern, Matt Bianco, myself. You can, uh, you can learn more at um, sourcinginstitute.com under the events tab. You'll see, uh, you'll see uh, all kinds of information on the event, including registration. We'd love to see you there. Um, thank you, Greg, for being here. Um, I hope you have an amazing year at, at New College. And as always, it's great to have you on, on the Sourcey Podcast Network. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. All right, for Greg and for all of us here at the Searcy Institute, I'm David. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.